everybody welcome episode 41 i'm ken pooch van druten and that is this is chris raybold in 2021 i'm still chris raybold can you believe it 2021 episode number 41 that's 41 hours of fun with you and me how about 2021 episode one of 2021 can you believe what a what a banger this has been I know. Uh, I feel a little bit bad for our listeners that we haven't put out something in a while, but it's just been crazy. I mean, you know, with the holidays and the just everything that's going on in our in our lives and um, people storming the Capitol building. Um, <laughs> uh, not that that's an excuse, but um, yeah, it's been a while. But um, we're back. We have we're, we're back. We're doing an episode. We're back. We're up and running, and um, we're trying to um, put put out some content for you guys. But in the meantime, um, Chris and I have been working really hard on a bunch of other stuff, like trying to come up with some um, some things uh, for the future. Uh, so look for those. Twenty twenty one, we think is going to be uh, um, a great year and a good learning bunch of learning opportunities um, for everybody out there that um, we're going to be a part. Of. So um, stay tuned. That's about Please. all I can say about that. Please do. Yeah. Please do. But welcome. And hopefully uh, 2021 is uh, better than the dumpster fire that was 2020. <laughs> um, and uh, um, and uh, yeah, so let's talk about audio because through all this other stuff yeah. that's happening on the planet right now, that's all a disaster. Yeah. Um, this is uh, we reason we do this is to get away from all of that and to talk a little bit about audio. So. Totally. I'm like, I got to tell you a thought I had. Um, I was thinking this last night, you know, I was, there's this part of me and I, and I know all of us have, have gone through our own ups and downs, whatever it looks like during this time of like hopefulness and, uh, you know, despair and blah, 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 blah. But then there's this underlying, you know, God, I can't wait to get back to it. Yeah. And I started thinking last night. I'm like, you know, we're all looking at it through such rose colored glasses that I forgot how I forget how goddamn hard it is. Oh, like, man. you know what I'm saying? Like it's yeah. life sound is hard. It's so difficult <laughs> depending on where you are. But I just envision the real startup, the real startup. Like once we're really doing it again and you're so pumped and, you know, input one kick drum in the house and it's the worst sounding room you've ever been in you're like oh right i forgot this sucks <laughs> you know but like i so welcome that as a problem to have in my life oh, i can't man. i can't yeah, wait me too you know i've thought a lot about it it is you know this is the longest period i'm doing projects at home right i'm doing some mm -hmm. mixed projects and so i'm getting to do some audio but i'm, I'm mixing in the box i'm not in front of a you know an sc7 it's like literally the longest period that i've been away from my console and i'm like it kind of gives me a little bit of anxiety because yeah. i'm like when i you know am working and there is like a month where i'm at home and then oh. i go back to work i i go oh man am i gonna remember how to do this totally well, it's been like 10 months, you yeah. know, since I've been in front of a, a console. And so it's um, staggering to think man. about the, the amount of time that's passed and it's going to continue to pass. You I know. know it's crazy. I'm, I am uh, so looking forward to the next time that I can get in front of a, a, a you know, a live sound console and, and uh, dig into it. Um, but uh, I'm sure 
I'm, I'm hoping that's not going to be under a super high pressure yeah. <laughs> situation. I know the good thing is literally everyone will be in the same boat, Yeah, you know? Um, so there's, there's something to be said for that performers. As I well. think so. I mean, you know, luckily, um, you know, the church community, you guys are still getting to work and, and being in front of consoles and stuff. So, uh, good for you. Um, but I think there's going to be a great deal of us that are going to come back to this and be like, uh, what am I doing? Right. And the, the speed, the speed is what's going to suffer at the beginning, you know, yeah. just the intuitiveness of it. Um, yeah. but I do think we'll find the, you know, riding a bike adage will, will, will prove true as well. Yeah. You know, like, and I really fine. think, let me shout this out to you guys. You know, I know there's a bunch of you, I've spoken to a bunch of my previous system engineers, two guys that I know um, that are badass system engineers. And one of them has abandoned the business he's done. He's going to go work. Uh, he started another business um, and, uh, he's, you know, he literally sent me an email that was like, thanks, man. It was great working with you. I'm starting my own business. Mm. And then there's another dude who's like working at UPS right now. And, um, you know, uh, he's doing whatever it takes to get through it, but I'm, I'm hoping that those people like come back, you know, yeah, it's, totally. there's excitement in, in, um, in coming back because, those two guys, man, if I lose those two guys, the guys are, they're fantastic at what they do. Mm -hmm. Um, so uh, I'm hoping that that, that happens. Um, yep. well, enough of, enough of the grimness. Yes. Um, let's, uh, let's hope that 2021 is, uh, we get to work soon and when we do, it's going to be awesome. Um, what do you want to talk about? I thought today, maybe, um, we talk a little bit about, Lately, I've been doing some mix projects, um, stuff here at the house, and people have been sending me tracks, and I've been mixing songs, um, and I got to tell you, some of the tracks I've been receiving um, are just, you know, live instruments, like live drums that were recorded that are just... Is this from a live performance? No. Oh, 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 okay. Even in a yeah. studio bad, huh? Studio stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, literally like a snare drum that sounds like someone was banging on a, a 55 gallon drum. Mm -hmm. Um, and what it made me think about was in the context of live sound, um, maybe we can talk a little bit about, if you remember, I don't know if I'm going to remember, but, um, <laughs> what it is that we do when we come across things that are just not great, you know, like a, 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 a $200 garage um, sale drum kit that the drummer has no idea how to tune. Mm -hmm. Like what are, what are some of the tricks and stuff that we, you and I do um, to get around that, you know, obviously a source is King, right? Like if the source sucks, it's really hard to, to get something to sound good. But I think the reality of it is, is I think there's a lot of people out there that show up to a church service on Sunday, for example, where the drum kit is just horrendous sounding. Mm -hmm. um, and um, I know that you and I have been in those situations and, and what are some of the things that, um, that we do? Um, so I don't know. Um, you want to start us off? What's, you know, what happens when you show up in the drum kit sounds horrible. The kick drum sounds like a basketball or. Sure. You know. um, when you mentioned this topic to me, I was, I thought you were mixing live tracks. No. 
yeah from right so this is in the studio there's even less of an excuse to suck there um, yeah no like, I, I think we should apply it to the live thing because that's what everybody's wanting to know yeah. about. but i mean you know those two lines are so intermixed these days studio mm-hmm. and live it's you know it's mm-hmm. pretty much the same thing but um i i've just i've noticed that recently i've been getting some tracks and it made me think about the times when i was doing something live and showed up and you know whatever input it was sounded horrible yeah well, it's interesting. I um I dig this topic because I've been thinking about it. I was listening to a live album or I was listening to just my phone was on random and there's some live stuff came by, <clears throat> came on and it was um and I'm listening to it and I'm just like, I know that sound. I know that sound. And I'm like, I know, I know that sound. I know everything the engineer's doing to pull out what they're pulling out <laughs> of that. Yes. Which is still not so great. And it was making me think about what it is about live sound where a lot of times that even despite our best efforts, there's just a, an inherent less than sound a lot of times that comes off of the stage. And it has to do with a number of factors. It has to do with, of course, you know, even, even, even the greatest high end consoles out there now, you know, that you and I might use those preamps aren't, on par with some of the really fun, really cool colored, really exciting stuff you can get. They're, they're just not, yeah. they're, they're not. And they don't produce the same excitement. They don't produce the same pre EQ'd kind of polished sound that a lot of times that you can get in the studio. But, but yet, you know, here you are telling me, Hey, no, I got stuff from the studio and it still sounds <laughs> like shit. So I guess what I was thinking was in live sound, we are so accustomed to dealing with not that great sounds and it's not just the guys that are mixing uh again i realize there are no clubs now but just to say there are it's not just the people doing festivals or clubs or regional stuff where they're mixing four different bands a night they've never heard it's i i I encounter it all the time and i've had you know I, i find it with a lot of times you mentioned drums you know you've got some really great drum kit or really good enough drum kit with a drum tech who's a buddy who's really just there to give hot to high five the drummer yep. and shit up every day and it doesn't sound good no matter and yep. you try and you try and you try and you try and it just doesn't sound great um and so i feel like as live sound engineers we're used to less than awesome sources for sure just pulling out the absolute best that we can does that make sense Absolutely. hundred percent. What are some of the things that you do? You know, what, um, yeah. like for instance, you know, I got, uh, just speaking just because these are things that I've been doing recently, but I got these tracks mm-hmm. and literally like I took a kick drum and like did unbelievable extreme EQ mm-hmm. stuff, you know, like 63 super wide Q yep. to 12. Yep. And then also put like waves low air on it yep. to try to make some beef in the bottom of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and even at that, the track that was there, I still was like, not you weren't happy. You weren't totally, totally stoked happy, with it. You know? Uh-huh. Yeah. I think, I think it's just what you said. You just, you commit to being as aggressive as you need to be. And sitting at home is one thing, but if it's like a throw and go, like you really don't have time to debate how insane that EQ is. I mean, I did the same thing. I had a project in 
October that I mixed and the, the, the bass drum, for example, there was, there's no bass in it. There yeah. was no bass to be found in my, the way that I made it work was an insane amount of low end, a yep. subharmonic synth. I used the Brainworks BX sub synth to where it yep. didn't sound sub synthy, but it had sub content, you know, and uh, it's also funny. You brought this up. A buddy of mine called me last night. He's a studio guy and he usually mixes. He doesn't mix in the box very much which I realize is rare these days, but they've, there's a studio here in town with a vintage console, lots of killer gear, and they use minimal plugins. And he's in the box. And he's just like, man, this just this sucks. What do you do? And um, I went and opened up a session, and I looked. And for instance, on the snare drum, which sounded okay, you know, I had Decapitator on there to kind of give it some grit yeah. and some life. And then I had an SSL channel that I know I went aggressive on. And then I had an API after that to yeah. do the top end that the API does. And like, that sounds stupid, but I promise it worked. And it was just, and if you don't have all that, if you don't have all the plugins, you're just doing onboard or whatever, then that looks like plus 14, like it just, it looks stupid. Yeah. You know? I um, mean, okay. So, you know, we've said this a bunch of times. It's like, don't look, listen, you know, mm -hmm. do whatever it takes, but I'm telling you that there are times where doing whatever it takes, someone looking over my shoulder would go, what is right. happening? <laughs> like, right. Literally, um, you know, I've had situations where I have duplicated a channel like four times in a row. Mm -hmm. And each one of those individual channels, let's say on a snare drum, has some weird plugin doing a weird thing. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, like using decapitator to, you know, get that crunch of the crack of the snare drum. Mm -hmm. If you listen to that channel by itself, it's the most horrendous sounding thing in the world. But mm -hmm. if you combine it with another channel that has 20 dB of boost of 200 in it, right. And then another channel that has, um, you know, a bunch of like SSL channel compression, and you put all four of those channels together. <laughs> right. You get something um, usable. You, you end up with uh, something that sounds like a snare drum, um, mm -hmm. you know, and, and th those are the type of extreme things that I'm talking about, you know? Um, mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, you know, that I go there sometime, you know, it's not often because luckily, you know, I'm kind of working for clients that hopefully the, the source is pretty good, but Man, I tell you about like once or twice a year, uh, you know, if you were to look at the file, uh, you would just go, what was happening? <laughs> I've done some, some, I have some tricks if it's just like, if I get a kit, <clears throat> this happens often, you know, with drums, drums and guitars are the two that I, well, shoot. And now, now I'm sitting here thinking, I'm like, okay, but I always have those clacky basses and I yeah. always have, <laughs> you know, so it's good. We'll just go through them, but yeah, um, just go through it. You know, I get like, I think about with snare drums. You know, I want, aside from just me wanting, I wish all snare drums were, you know, six and a half inch black beauties with the right. cool bottom, but they're not. So how do I do the best I can with what I'm given? And sometimes I have to stop myself from making it something that it's not. If that makes sense, I have sure. to be like, no, like, don't make, it's not a black beauty. Don't make it one. It's never going to do that. But like, I so know the sound of, 220 hertz boosted on a snare when it's really not there it's just yes. the closest you know what i'm talking you know what i mean I it's totally just like the closest 
thing you can find to low end. And yep. so then what you're boosting, and I think this is what I heard on that live album that I just randomly played in my car the other day too, is you're, you're, you end up mixing it's passable. In fact, it can end up being good, but it's not, I'm, I'm boosting proximity effect. Yeah. I'm boosting microphone sound. I'm not even boosting tonality of that drum. You know what I mean? Or I might even be boosting into the top end of a snare drum, wanting to catch hat yeah. in it to give it that thing. Um, I remember one time I started doing this thing where you know, a lot of times people tune their live snares really tight. They want it responsive. They want it to pop back yep. and it just kills the tone. And I started doing this thing with like multiband compression where, and I may, I called it my like virtual wallet. Whereas in the studio, you know, you could, you know, the whole tape wallet to a drum yeah. trick to deaden it where there was this, instead of a static EQ, it just worked better to have like a multiband section not really like just above the low mids in the mid range to take out the that shit. And it's like, why am I doing that? I shouldn't have to do that, but that's what, and and then it became a thing where I kind of dug it. So I started trying to use it all the time. And I found that it didn't work well on a well-tuned snare drum. It didn't work well, but on just a mess of a snare drum, that was a tactic. That's something that I employ to really deal with the overly ringy, overly tightened, snare you know so uh you were using dynamic eq specifically in uh, uh a frequency range that was squashing just one little bit it, of the yep. snare. and i haven't had to do it i haven't had to do it in years but i it's one of those things that's in my back pocket i'm like okay if i get a too tight snare drum forget what size it is forget what kind of drum for whatever reason of course i had a static eq on it as well but that was something that i found deadened it and just it, it made a difference. And in fact, I remember being at center staging one time and uh, went into uh, a really well-known engineer who I didn't, we didn't really know each other very well, but I went into his room and, and he was doing the same thing. And he was like, and I was like, right on, man, you know, and he was yeah. doing it too in a damage control way. He didn't want to be doing it. Sure. So it was, it's just, you know, one of those things that um, I'm thinking that's example. That's an example of something I keep in my back pocket. Um, I, yeah, I, I mean, I got a, a bunch of them now that I'm starting to think about it. Um, well, good. Yeah. And we'll, we'll get to them for sure. I, you know, my, um, my go-to it's weird. It's like, uh, my picture of what the, a snare drum should sound like probably includes a lot more 200 than maybe what most people tune their drums to mm-hmm. have. Like I come from a place you know, I come from, I grew up in the eighties. And so, you know, my, that 80s snare drum that has all that thud part of it mm-hmm. is often not what people are tuning their drums to sound like. So, um, sometimes I, uh, I manufacture that because that's the sound that I want, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? It's maybe not the sound that's coming out of that snare drum. Um, and I don't know if that's good or not, but somehow it makes it work in the mix for me. Um, and, uh, the tool I use a lot is, um, uh, a plugin by ways called torque. Mm-hmm. Um, and that I use that on kick drums and snare drums a lot because it helps to manufacture a tone that doesn't really exist. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, so I've had a lot of success since. Is that, that the one that does, you give it like a frequency range right. and it almost does like a uh, is there like a transient designer element to it? it kind of, yeah, yeah. But it, it's basically, it's more like, um, 
you know, it's like auto seated demo for a for a, uh, a drum. You can actually focus mm. energy um, in the low end part of the actual, uh, you know, snare drum, for instance, and find a a frequency, you know, of um, that it will help to enhance. Kind of transient designer ish, mm. but frequency specific. Frequency specific, but whatever it's doing, it's not doing what you described earlier, which is what I hate when you're overemphasizing yeah. with EQ, What's proximity effect and air and mm -hmm. stuff that isn't there really. Right. This is this plugin I think is designed to actually create the tone along the similar lines of like low air, where you're creating something that doesn't exist. Uh -huh. um, and it. Um, I've had a lot of success with that particular plugin, even on already great sounding snare drums. I'll use that uh, as a tool um, to kind of overemphasize the, the real meat of a snare drum. Uh, mm -hmm. So I've had some success with that. Mm -hmm. You know, it's interesting that um, that multiband car of the mid range thing. While I, I say I don't use it unless I need to on snares. I've all, I've made it, something i do as a starting point on a tom's group oh cool for some reason because it just you know you do the individual toms or at least i do i do the individual toms then i go into the group and i shape the group a little further and then i'll have that multi-band thing there that just chooses it really does help level out the tonality of all of them because on you know of course on one drum it might only do this on the next drum, it might do that. You know, it's correct. Ideally, you get it at the source, but it's a good evener. So uh, while I don't employ it all the time on on snares, I, I do keep it active. Sometimes the drum, if the, the toms just sound great, I don't need it. But I, I tend to start with it on. Yeah. Um, How about um, non mechanical issues like a horrible sounding line, for instance, oh. that has? Let's take a guitar or a bass. For example, mm -hmm. I can't tell you how many times, I mean, I, even on the current artist that I'm working on, um, you know, uh, uh, right now, uh, Iron Maiden, amazing um, sounding inputs coming at me, but the idol of all of those old school amps and all mm. of that old school stuff that's sitting there is, eh. I mean, literally like if we, if no one was playing and we were in a quiet arena, mm -hmm. it's pretty drastic what's happening there. Just, eh, you know, so right. I ended up doing like t a, a bunch of soft gating um, mm. so that, you know, in between songs and, you know, um, lower volume sections of, you know, songs, um, trying to eliminate noise, um, you know, and those are, that's literally me spending hours trying to actually go to the source and fix the source. And it's just not possible because they're, you know, they're amps from the seventies and the sixties and, mm -hmm. um, they just, they make noise. They have a noise floor on them. That's making noise. Um, right. The instruments that they have. So, um, do you have any tips or tricks about that? What about basses and guitars? And yeah, you know, it's funny. I, one tip I have is to cut, to cut, to cut myself a little bit of slack and learn what is the, like in rock and roll, for example, what is the acceptable noise floor of rock and roll? Because <laughs> yeah. to a degree, yeah, 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 yeah. hey man, that's just the sound of like yeah. shit's about to go down. That's so, okay. You yeah. know, and I've also, the same thing uh, holds true with like rattly snare bottoms. Sometimes right. 
the sound of those between vibrating is like, as I've gotten older, I'm like, no, that's kind of cool. It's kind of a thing. Yeah. Yeah. I'll embrace it. So, um, but, but yes, gosh, with, with noisy, particularly if like the player knows it's that noisy, the tech knows it's everyone knows it's that noisy, you know, they don't realize maybe that it's, yes, it's that noisy, but when it's coming through that PA, it's a whole other level of noisy. You know, and like not what, only that, but like 56 inputs of noisy, right? Like the addition, the math of that, the addition of that is not something that each tech has to deal with. Nope. You're the one that has to deal with the multiplication yeah. of all of that. And, right? and I, that's right. And I always tell people, I always tell guys, like when we get into a conversation or God forbid, an argument, I'm just like, look, you know, I'm the sieve. All of it comes to me. Yeah. So like you're, <laughs> you're the funnel. Eh, you're the yeah, funnel. We're, we're the funnel. And so like the little like, nah, it's okay over here. Like you just said, multiplied times, whatever is not okay. So please help me yes. <laughs> get there. Um, we, uh, but yeah, a lot of soft gating on guitar amps on uh, basses, even basses for like, you know, a lot of times players don't realize where between songs, it's just going, it's buzzing, it's humming, it's that low, it's that. And you know how it is uh, after time with experience, you no longer go, what is that? Because you think something's getting ready to feedback, you know it's the bass. And, and once in a blue moon, you'll see the bass player put their, you know, mute the strings. Yes. And, and know to do it. So a lot of soft gating. And I think we talked about this on here, but if anybody's wondering what we're talking about, you know, you literally can do it uh, with playback or in the moment. Just sit there. Get you, I tell you how I do it. I go to a gate and I set the attack where it's not going to be clicky. Yep. So p- past the fastest, but just slightly, just still, slightly, just right. Still so probably it opens under a mil- quickly, but it doesn't have that snap that we talk yeah. about, you know, with, for toms and that kind of right. Shit. Right. So just past that, the release at something low, whatever. And then I always have the, or excuse me, the hold at something low. I always have the release at a, around a second. Yeah. So that's just my generic starting point and just sit there guys and just go. And if that amp's going eh, between songs, just take it and take it down until it stops yeah and then you can find two then you can be like okay that's where i'm starting now but then make sure that a snare drum or a kick drum or something's not also going to open it also and this is when you right this is when you end up with thresholds at like negative 43 or something yeah. but it but they pay giant dividends because yeah. they do help to clean it up it's especially between songs um yeah. so that's a big one and also you know we did an episode not too long ago about high pass and low pass filtering too. You know, if I've got a bass that's really rizzy, I'll low, I'll low pass that bass. Yeah. To get rid of it, you know, yeah, like I no problem because I don't need that stuff anyway. Yeah, totally. Yeah, the clackety clack part of the super high clackety clack part of a bass is usually not something that's that's great. Um let's talk about that. What about a bass guitar that doesn't sound great? Um you know, I mean we've run into that. Um Yep. I mean, I've done some crazy expansion. Like for me, a C6 is like a super great tool for a horrible sounding bass guitar. Mm -hmm. Um, And I have set up a C6 that just looks crazy, like weird expansion in the bottom and a bunch of compression to get rid of the clackety clack. But it's got this expansion at 100 so that when they play higher notes, my biggest complaint, you know, I'm a bass player. I grew up, you know, playing bass, went to Berkeley and played bass. Um, and my biggest complaint about bass players is notes on the neck being showing up as different volumes, um, Mm. in their output. So as they play higher up on the neck, you know, those notes start disappearing. They're not coming out. 
mm-hmm. uh, like the rest of the stuff. And then they dig into a low B, for instance. The worst. The and most it's just amateur you know, knocks sound your socks off. In audio it's, to me. Yeah. So mm-hmm. um, that is, uh, it's a playing thing, but it's also an equipment thing. Um, you know, bass players that haven't spent a bunch of time like working that out and getting that right. Um, it drives me crazy, but I run into that a lot as a sound guy. So how do you fix that? What's, what, what are some things that you do to fix that? Right. I do a lot. I, it, it's rare. <clears throat> Again, throw and go one bait, one channel of base yeah. DI and I'm doing what I can with whatever tools I have. Yeah. But even with a really good bass player, um, uh, here's another one. Even with a really good bass player, but because of the nature of the show, they're moving all the time. That can take the most consistent player totally. with the most well-balanced instrument and easily throw it out of whack. And it's really not their fault. They're running. You know what I mean? Totally. Um, one thing I almost always, always, always do now, it's funny. We talked about, not too long ago, we talked about something about similar to this. And I mentioned, you know, that the low B um or the low you whatever whatever the whatever it is being yeah. a, out of whack and you're like no 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 any note being out of whack yes. and that stuck with me i'm like yeah he's right um but one thing i'll almost always do is is uh, more times than not now there is some sort of multi-band and it is a multi-band not a uh dynamic eq a multi-band and i just compression yeah yeah, i define where i'm thinking low end is like with this person does it need to be 80 and below or are we talking 160 and below and it's always there as a fail safe and with some people it's just only to cut other people it is truly to even It, it does the cut but then it has the boost built in a lot of times for me though like you would be inclined to look at what I'm doing at the start of the chain and be like, well, aren't you thinning it out? Well, I might be ducking it with the C6 or the whatever it might be and then making it up somewhere else. Yeah. So th- that's almost always in play now, particularly if I don't know the player. I'm just expecting there to be some unevenness. Um, Do you find yourself that- using expansion? I, you know, in, in general, when we're talking about all of the channels across the console, mm-hmm. you would uh, most likely find expansion in my channels on the base. Is that, that is something like the, that you utilize? It, or Yeah. That's like the only place I do. Yeah. I've never, because what I'll do is I'll sit there. I was thinking about on, uh, on a tour that I do, we had this, I just ended up with this really great bass sound. He's a great bass player, but it involved expansion around... I'm going back to this frequency range again. It was, no, it was higher. It was more like it was somewhere below, somewhere between 250 and 300. Yep. There was expansion in there. And it yep. was a 5 dB boost with, uh, with similar, the ability to similarly compress that. And I, there would be times when I would look at it and I'd be going, well, it looks like it's boosting five and always compressing three. Why don't I just turn it up two and lose this? But it didn't sound the same. Yeah. You know, and, and, and bass is the only place that I really ever do that. I've never, I haven't really, I've just never really gotten into a lot of expansion. Yeah. Um, I've seen some creative uses actually during COVID. I've noticed some, some interesting things guys are doing on, uh, on drums, on snare drums to keep oh, wow, the cool. hat bleed at to like, like basically they're, the expansion occurs 
only when the drum is hit so they can leave their snare drum. They leave their snare top ungated. And okay. so the hi-hat's coming through it, but it's not coming through it with the plus 20 until right. it's hit, which I'm oh, like, oh, that's witty. I don't care to do that because I've been fine for 20 five years not doing that, but I get why they do it. So yeah, bass is the only, is kind of the only place that I do it. And I really only do it in the low mid. And that's really where I'm just looking for notes. Yeah. You know what what I find with the bass guitar a lot is that the E string and a B string, if, if it's a five string, but the right. E string has all that information, that 200 to 400 range, even as you play upwards on the, on the E string or the B string, when you're playing on the E string and you're, you're, you're in the middle of the neck, it still has all that information, but on the A string and the D string, mm -hmm. it doesn't have that information. So if you're playing the same note on the A string or the D string versus the E string, Mm -hmm. you could play the same note on those strings it's just a different part of the neck um they the 200 to 400 range of a bass guitar acts very differently in those different strings and so i feel like i have to do expansion and compression in that range from 100 to 400 let's say mm -hmm. because as that person is really cranking down bass players really cranking on an e string you know mm -hmm. playing a g on an e string and just cranking down on it it i need to squash that information that 200 to 400 needs to get squashed but then when they start nailing you know the octave higher on the a string you want it filled out to be expanded you know um and so I, I i spend a bunch of time there's some crazy looking there's some crazy looking c6 on on my um my base channel sometimes um mm -hmm. yeah it's, it's uh, little... there's something to be said too i think with a lot of times with bass players like you said if it's a b if it's an e whatever that lowest string is there's freedom in that string yeah as a player because yeah. there's there's nothing above it and you yeah. like there's literally physically nothing above it so yeah. if anything can be sloppily played it just happens to be the nuclear bomb of that instrument yeah. which is the lowest of low end yeah. so it's where they can get away with being the sloppiest and it's where there's the most energy um yeah. and that's how that that's how that can go awry so quickly um have you found okay there's been a couple of and I won't tell you the bands, the big bands, huge bands, mm -hmm. where um, I've literally had to turn the bass guitar into something that just makes yes. low end information. Yeah. Like I've taken, you know, a low pass filter and just, you know, squashed it all the way down um, and emphasized information from 40 hertz to 80 hertz, let's say. Mm -hmm. And that is just information that I'm using to kind of make my whole mix have that information, yep. but it's not really defined. Like notes are hard to pick out. You know, mm -hmm. it's all it is, is making this low end pad literally because what's coming from the source is just kind of unusable. You know it's what I mean? It's like clickety clackety. Yeah. And uh, the notes that they're playing anything above, you know, the first four frets, of mm -hmm. all the strings, like if they're playing anything up on the neck are just like, Oh my God, like what right. happening. Um, and so I've literally had to take all that and like low pass to, uh, you know, I don't know, something crazy, like 400, you know, mm -hmm. um, and just get rid of all that 1k, 2k, 3k stuff that is normally, uh, you know, um, uh, 
what makes a, a bass guitar have um, cut through your mix or whatever. But I've had to eliminate that because what's coming through is just like, oh, that's so yep. nasty. And I think if any of those bands had heard the bass guitar by themselves, would have been like, what? are you doing right but in the scope of the picture of the mix you know it was something that i had to do have you had any situations where you've had just crazy stuff happen with bass guitar yeah for sure and i in fact i was even i was working on something i was going to do this year too and i've seen people do it you got to be careful when you start employing what are essentially crossover filters because as you as you know as you then manipulate if you take a source you let's just say let's make it simple you double it yeah, but you cross you cross it over using the same type filter at the same type space. Once you then start manipulating one of those two channels, phase wise, things can get weird, and then it gets right. crazy at the crossover point, and it's just all what the fuck just happened. But um, I was really working on just that, like treating my bass. Usually, what I'll do is I'll have the bass channel, and then I'll have, and I've mentioned this on here before, where I'll have like kind of parallel channels doing various things and one of them is, is usually a distorted channel yeah. but it's a lot of times i'll distort in the middle like don't like because there's all the clickety clack and i want to fill in this so it really what it becomes is like a honk sort of it's a this mid-range it's just a tone thing that you use but i was experimenting with taking the bass separating it into you basically again two separate channels with a crossover point i can't remember what on this particular person what i had settled on as as that crossover point and then using different compressors different compressor types on the different ones to emphasize and to, to basically to fabricate the tone that, that wasn't there yeah that's you know? interesting as you were talking i was i was thinking you know what my go-to really is if if there's an input that's horrible my mm -hmm. go-to is to duplicate it and then kind of create yep a, a broken version yeah, of it, fuck it up. sums all together again. Mm -hmm. And that's true of anything. Of snare drums, of kick drums, of bass guitar, of guitar. I, I think that is my go-to. Um, you know, when when an input sounds horrible, my go-to is let's make four of it. Right. And try to, you know, emphasize certain parts that then you resum together. I mean, yep. but you have to be super careful about that. You're absolutely right. As soon as you start doing that, as soon as you duplicate something, you start ripping things apart and, and using a single channel for individual parts of that instrument, then phase is the real problem, right? You know, putting that all back together. It is like, I love, uh, I still travel with, I don't like the one that I have so much these days, <clears throat> but I still travel with like a real Sans amp when I yeah. can. And, um, I used to use the old, old, old one with the wall wart, like the one from, I guess it was the late eighties or the nineties. I don't care what happened to that one. <clears throat> and then I got the newer one that has like the digital readout. It just doesn't sound the same, but I loved the bomb factory plugin yeah. that still exists. That thing's great. I just don't work on any platforms where I can use it anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, but it's like as soon as you employ that on a channel, check the phase. And the and the thing about that though, you know, don't expect to find perfect cancellation or summation. It's gonna be somewhere in the middle. What are you wanting it to do? Yeah. You know, but but I would say if there's any input that gets Unless it's just a phenomenal, phenomenal player that gets a lot of uh, attention, 
Yes, it's yeah. the base and, yeah. and, and shaping it into something it's not. Because, you know, when you were mentioning, sometimes you end up with this big low indie sort of you just want to create that pad for everything yeah. to sit on. I've also had the situations where the player was actually really good. And I love there was so much beautiful stuff going on from, you know, 100 to 400, all those notes and everything. But the arrangement had was just eaten up with it elsewhere. And I, I can't do it. So I'm begrudgingly having to actually dig out there, you know, and then go down and look and find like a 50 Hertz bump and, you know, maybe nothing else on top or maybe that classic one K people always want to go to like one K on bases to like, to make it do something, you know, I've had to do that too, to where it actually, the bass was really good, but the arrangement couldn't handle it. Yeah. You know? Um, I think you pointed something out there that, um, is a go-to for me. Um, uh, the the number one tool for me on bass guitar is harmonic distortion. So whatever that means, whatever tools that you're using to get to create harmonic distortion, something about adding harmonic distortion to bass inputs makes it the glue mm-hmm. that locks in with drum kit stuff. Um, mm-hmm. So I tend to, along with doing some weird expansion stuff, that's pretty common on a bass guitar for me. Um, I too do, you know, what you were talking about, bomb factory, you know, Sanzam stuff. Um, lately I've been using, um, there's a, a waves plug called Sapphire uh, that does odd and even harmonic things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've been, I'll duplicate the, the bass channel uh, and put that, you know, on there to replicate harmonic distortion. Mm-hmm. And if you were to listen to that channel by itself, it would be pretty abrasive. Right. But combining with the, the overall nicely squashed and expanded mm-hmm. version of the bass guitar, those two things really make the high end part of the bass sing without getting clacky. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, yeah, those are, you know, I mean, listen, for me, uh, I had a, 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 a professor at Berkeley, um, that explained mixing as, I think I've told you this before, but like as a plant, right. And that drums and bass guitar are the roots of this plant and you can't have the rest of the plant can't have leaves and flowers and all the other shit <laughs> right. without the roots and the, you know, the roots of the, of the plant. So it, the bass guitar and the drums locked in is the only way that the rest of the stuff in your mix is going to work. Right. Uh, so I spent a great deal of time making sure that there's glue for lack of a better term between mm. the bass guitar and the drums. And if I can't make that happen, like the rest of the mix doesn't, work for me. That's always the case. If I can't make those things work together, um, you know, so I I spend a great deal of time on bass guitar. Um, that's you, I think. Yeah. And you can't get that cool kick drum sound that we all want with, with a, with a not good bass guitar. True. Cause then your, then your kick drum sticks out and sounds, you know, whatever hokey and just it's it's no fun (laughs) you know um so yeah using doing whatever you have to do on bass oftentimes malting it again that's the beauty of the of the digital era if you can do it is you just just make copies and get the channel yeah in a way you you know and then you're 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 essentially making individual little tone controls in there um you're talking about you know tracks that are less than remember i mixed this live album one time and the guitar it sound kidding. I'm not kidding you. It sounded like they mic'd. It was a, a, a two twelve, you know, yeah. half stack or whatever, or whatever that would be. It sounded like they mic'd the handle 
Oh. Like it just, it was just all wolf and it was all, and you just, I'm just like, did anyone listen to this thing? Wow. Did any, what, what, what is this sound that I'm hearing, you know? Yeah. And that was an example of, you know, you get to an input that's just so dark and here we are, here we are again, you just start getting creative, yep. you know? You just start digging into whatever EQ you can get and you cut out every last bit of bottom that you can, whatever you have to do um, to make it work. It just, it just does make you wonder, like, did anyone listen yeah. or was the simple fact that an input was active? Was that like, yeah, we're good. That's oh, yeah, good. That's, I saw a meter. It's working. Yeah. Yeah. Which is which is the case a lot of the times. It is know? unfortunately, yeah, especially in the case of uh, someone that's showing up just to record mm -hmm. and isn't isn't mixing it right then. Like you know, whoever's recording is not the front house mixer. Let's say, let's say it's someone that showed up and just got a split. Right. Uh, a lot of times they don't even listen to the inputs. They just look and say, "Oh, there's a meter there, and it's working." Yep, and, uh, and it's very sign of the times now too for like for things just in general to be tracked. Um, and this is not true of everyone. That is completely unfair. However, there is a lot of, you can fix that, right? You can fix that, right? Whether it's the performance or the tone. Yeah. You know, um, I'll tell you one thing, it's a good habit. I know a lot of bands that, that I've worked for have done this is to make a habit of tracking. You're going to track a bass CI no matter what, but a lot of times, you know, people will track uh, electric guitar DI as well in case, so they can reamp it later. Oh, yeah. If, yeah. if they know they're going to do that or reamp it in the moment. I mean, I did that back in the day. I had a, and it went horribly wrong several times. I mean, I had a line <laughs> six rack unit out front. I've used simulate emulators. I've done, I've done it all. And that's all that's dangerous ground to get on. Uh, but having a, having a DI track is worth it for either mixing it later or maybe fixing it when it's just not that great. Yeah. From, from the I mean, source. I've said here before, uh, you know, my secret weapon for all my rock guitars is uh, that Palmer PDI-09. Mm -hmm. It's a speaker DI um, that gives you a really clean, great sounding DI'd uh, guitar because it's between the actual head and the speaker. Um, and so it takes the speaker load through it. Um, and so basically it gives you whatever the output of the, the head is. Um, and alone, it's not that great by itself, but with that and a, a couple of microphones on, on some four twelves and you've got a real, a real winning guitar yeah. in my opinion those things are killer too because of where they come in the chain so you know effects or boosts like yep. lead channel stuff happens i did a, right. a live a live record once where i had to bring in the guys okay the guitar track was so it just sounded so bad we had the time the guitar tech was excellent knew the act backwards and forwards knew every song i had him come in we reamped with the di but the tech had to do all the chant had, had to do all the like the lead channel stuff but he right. knew it so well that he could and we just just put a single 57 on it or something oh, like that right. and just it sounded uh, it sounded amazing it was so good but you don't always have the the luxury to do that but that's what's cool about the palmers is they come at the end of the line so they're going to yep. get whatever came before you're not going to miss anything you know it can really screw you up though have you ever been in a situation i've i worked for a couple of bands where for whatever the reason is whatever they're listening to on stage or whatever, when they kick in a lead, it actually, the volume goes down. I was thinking about this today. What Instead of up. It, that's a common problem. Man. It is. I, I feel like I, it drives me nuts. What was I listening to? I was listening to something today. Oh, 
I was driving around with my daughter listening to a song and I had mixed it earlier this year. And I remembered the live version. If you're pushing a solo plus eight yeah. or plus like, or plus tw- like something's fucked up, you know, something is wrong. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. I get it. Chords just like that, the low string on a bass yeah. is more energy. It's bigger. Single note stuff is less, but like, don't you hear it go down? Don't yeah. you want it to come forward? Well, you I mean, know? and it's just as bad as the guy that's got the lead boost. That's, you know, 20 DB hot, yes. right? Yes. Like, you know, I've worked for bands literally where, you know, I know where the guitar solo is. And instead uh-huh. of boosting the solo, I'm cutting yeah. it by 10 DB because yes. what the guy is sending me is like, knock your, you know, oh, here's, a, here's a great point. This is, I mean, you know what, this might be the, the, the take home of the thing is, uh, <laughs> communication with your with your fellow engineer and what i mean by that is i know that one act that i work with we had a i had a really hard time because the way the guy the monitor guy got through it all was everything was very low threshold high ratio compression on everything so these play and everybody was on ears so these players would, were just constantly jacking their pedals or their oh. patches. And so monitor guys digging it. He's happy because everything's even, but he's like, I'm being handed a, just a nightmare of a scenario. Same things happened to me. Yeah. Right. You know, level wise. And that, and that really is at a certain point. It's like, Hey man, I get it. Like rehearsals were kind of hairy at the beginning, but everyone's shit is whack now. Yeah. You know? So that's it. And that's, that's a tough conversation. It can be a tough conversation to have because you don't want it to be like, Hey, do this, set your channels this way. But you do want it to have it known like, Hey, c- can we, can we use as little processing as possible coming from the stage? So the guys actually know what's happening, so particularly now when everything's in ISO boxes or no one's walking up to their amp, they're just hearing it through their ears. That's you right. Know? Um, so yeah, that's, that's a big one is make sure that, you know, monitor world is, 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 playing ball with you in a, in a way that's helpful. You know? And that's a hard conversation to have, but it, but it is definitely a conversation that I've had, um, mm-hmm. you know, with somebody saying, you know, listen, man, you're, you're forcing these musicians to do things that are like, you know, it's, it's dumb what's happening and you're changing the tone of the guitar mm-hmm. so much because the guy is turning it up so much to try right. to get rid of this brick wall compressor that you have mm-hmm. um, going on there. Um, and probably doing something tonally to make up for the yes. smothered sound as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's a common I mean, problem, man. That's it's very, hard, very man. Common. It's a hard thing, but you have to have those conversations because the musicians are just doing that because they don't know any better, you know? Right. So um, you, you want the thing to sound great. The hardest situation I've walked into that situation two or three times where a front of house guy has been fired and I show up to an already existing Ooh. tour. Yeah. And you know, and, what's up and that's happening all yeah. over the place. And you know it. And, and you know it. And as you're trying to dial up your own stuff, you're like, I know what's wrong here. I know why the guy got fired. Yep. Yep. Um, and so then that's a hard, you know, you got to show up and monitor the world and be like, Hey, right. Dude. <laughs> yeah. And we haven't even gotten, we haven't even talked about vocals. We haven't no, even talked about the vocals that are on stun and therefore <laughs> everyone is singing. They're doing this. this. Dude, I have had singers that are there you can tell they're trying to get away from themselves yes Uh, do i honestly i swear pooch i feel like i'm not lying 70 percent of the acts i work with 
I'm watching the people. They're like, oh, I'm watching oh, I, people I'm so, scared. I'm so loud. Yeah, they're scared to go in. Yes. Yeah. And that is completely opposite of the way that a proper vocal microphone should work. Mm-hmm. You want them to, you know, eat that microphone, get that proximity effect, do all that. Right. And you as a monitor engineer are now forcing them to do this because you're, they're so loud in their ears. Yeah. Yep. Um, you know, yeah, it's a, it's a hard thing. Listen, I, you know, I'm not a monitor guy. I know how hard the job is. I was a monitor guy in the first part of my career. So I get it. Mm-hmm. You're just trying to survive. But at right. some point, there is a finesse part of that that you can help yourself and me as a front of house guy mm-hmm. by backing it out of their ears enough to force them to, you know, start. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's when I understand how it happens. You know, it just takes one day of rehearsals of, yeah, and it, it, that's it. And that's For the it. Next ten years, that's how loud the vocal is because everyone, <laughs> the monitor guy stays, you stay. The lyric, you know, you just yeah. and you struggle and you struggle and you struggle. So, that's the one place you know as we're kind of getting towards the end of inputs and fabricating things, duplicating bass channels is relative unless it's super noisy is relatively safe and easy because it's a direct source. You can do a lot to drums. You can do a lot to guitars vocals it's almost like there's only so much you can do because we're starting to talk about once we're t- once we're getting into like expansion on vocals or doubling it's the up, hottest it's the hottest input in your mix right so yeah it's it's already the 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 hottest just inherently and it's the loudest you you can't get away with as much there or it's gonna feed back that's true you know or it's gonna get really gnarly so once you get to poorly either tracked vocal if you're remixing or just a poor vocal in the moment that's the place where there are only so many tricks but you know the greatest thing about vocals is that in every other case right you can't walk up to the drummer and you say that snare drum sucks here's a black beauty right like Uh that just doesn't happen but in vocals you can make the correct mic choice if you're struggling and shit sucks Yep. Guess what? You get to be the guy that goes, hey, we're swapping this out and it's now we're going to use a Telefunken AM81 now because right. whatever it was wasn't working. You know, you get to choose the, the, um, uh, you know, the, the, the type of microphone that you're using on that person. And generally, a vocalist doesn't give a shit, right? Mm-hmm. They're like, oh, okay, all right, thanks. You know, right. We'll try a new one. And so that is my go-to fix rather than, you know, like guitars, you know, we, Mm. we end up with a horrible sounding snare drum. You just have to deal with it. You duplicate a bunch of channels, you get around it, you do the best that you can with vocals. My go-to is, is if I hear a vocal that just sounds like shit right from the beginning, (laughs) or it's the wrong microphone for that person, I, I automatically say, okay, we're going to swap you to X amount of vocal microphones. So I think it's important it's one of the most important tools in your toolkit as a front of house engineer is to know vocal microphones enough mm-hmm. to know the right choices for the right sounding vocalist, right? Yep. That's a, like an important toolkit to have. Yep. The right sounding vocalist and, 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 and what is their technique? Because yes. so much of it has to do with where is that hand? Yeah, that's right. You know what I mean? Especially now that's like, you know, I would love if I honestly, I would probably, and not just to like be some sort of throwback purist minimalist, I would put a 58 up 
Oh, most of the time, a lot yeah. of the time, I'm down Great with 58. It is. Yeah. But once they start cupping it, it's the wrong choice. That's right. And that's when, like what you're saying, it gets into like, have that, have it in mind. Okay. Then what is a good choice? What does yeah. handle that? Well, you know? Yeah. It's funny, you know, so most of the time when I have a vocal, um, you know, it isn't an electronic fix. It's like, uh, I'll, I'll mess around in rehearsals or whatever, or even if it's a one-off, you know, if I'm looking at on the stage and then looking at how that person sings, are they this, are they mm-hmm. the, this singer when they sing loud, do they get into it when they sing loud? Do they cup, are they screaming into it or are they holding it here and singing all of those different variations of things? lend well to different types of microphones, you know, totally. cardioids and wide, super hypercardioid, super cardioid, mm-hmm. all the different patterns make a difference in what's happening with a, with a vocalist. And so having knowledge about, you know, the, the top five, let's say, you know, vocal microphones that are out there and what they, how they do well. Um, like you said, a 58 doesn't survive well when someone's cupping it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's a, there's a lot better microphones. Um, you know, the the DPA whatever uh, vocal microphone doesn't have any proximity effect. So if you've got a vocalist that's doing a lot of this and then you know doing mm-hmm. this kind of stuff, maybe you want, might want to eliminate proximity effect and choose that microphone you know, uh, Mm -hmm. to, to get rid of that. Um, so my go-to is not, what I'm saying is, is my go-to is not to duplicate channels and not to go to a plugin or electronic fix. My fix for vocals is very much a, 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 um, a piece of gear change. Go go to the source. It's made me think about, remember in the, I guess it was the late nineties when the early two thousands, when it was like, everybody's putting out the tightest hyper card that you can everybody. All the audits. Like stuff you you'd literally, super, if the, you had a singer that did this, you'd like you wouldn't hear him. You yeah. wouldn't hear it. And so at that time, you know, it's like, oh, I know how I'm going to clean up the stage. Look at all these super tight mics. But then you're finding, yeah, exactly. The guy that's doing this. Dude. And it's and made it worse. It's, it's made it worse. It's a lightsaber of sound too. When they point it at something, like yes. they point it at the drums. It's like, holy crap, it's fucking 20 yep. dB of drums. You know? Yep. So sometimes it's a leap of faith when you're trying to clean it up. Yeah but it actually might be a wider mic that you need because the guy's 47 years old and not changing and he's going to sing from here. That's right. Take it, let it be wider. Like, yep. you know, um, but that's, again, that's, that's an experience kind of thing. So, yeah, um, that's it, man. at the end of the cool. day though, I mean, you just, you just do your best with what you, you do. Have. You do your best. You know, we all run into situations where, you know, source is the king and bottom line, the way to fix something is to go to the source and fix it. Right. Mm-hmm. Like what we're talking about is putting a bandaid on the gusher. Right. Yeah. When the, you know, right. the, the guys cut his arm off and now I'm putting a bandaid on it to try to, you know, get through it and to, mm-hmm. you know, to make, make it through. But really the solution to all the things that we've talked about today are to go to the source in right. any way that you can um, and have a conversation, you know, with the drummer, maybe in a, in a nice way, there's ways mm-hmm. to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, like, Hey man, you know, I'm just not digging the snare drum. Is there another snare drum you have that we can try? Mm-hmm. Um, or try a different tuning. Those are the conversations that I have uh, first before mm-hmm. I go to the, uh, I've got to make four channels of snare right. to fix it. Right. I'll tell you, this is reminding me of a gig that I took over. This is one of the best sounding gigs I've ever done. This is somehow now, it's five years ago, I guess. 
but um i inherited it it was the guy that had it was god and he was great and everything and he left and he put his guy in place yep and it all fell apart right so then they uh so then they brought me in but there was only the tour had been going on for like a year and there was only i don't know three months left or something like that you know so i came in and it was if you could have picked my least favorite mics that <laughs> every this happened to me too yeah, every 100%. single input was oh i hated every single one of them so much but the mon they love the monitor guy yeah uh, he had been doing a phenomenal job uh, they were also on the home stretch they'd been out for a year there were three worse. months left yeah there, it was not the move to come in to there to switch the microphone change everything i didn't change one goddamn microphone not yeah. one and it and it sounded great yep. it just it was there was a good sounding show and i didn't do it and i still i remember it all the time when i think about that show i think about all those microphones up there that i dislike so much you know but that was where politically <laughs> it was not the you did, it was the right thing to do yeah it was I, the right thing to do to just yeah. roll with and and, and and to be honest the sources were fine yeah, but man, they could have been better. But that, I know, wasn't I know. that wasn't I've the move. That wasn't. I've had that conversation. Like I, I have the same thing. You know, I've shown mm -hmm. up. Somebody got fired or left or whatever, and I show up, and I talk to the monitor guy that's been there for six years, and he sends me the input list, and I just I look at the input list and go, oh, right, like, really, yeah. Like, why do you have an SM eighty one on a hat? Yeah. Like, really, come on, right. dude. Right, but. Then you call the dude up and you go, you know, that guy is that monitor engineer for the, the first day and a half that you've been hired is terrified mm -hmm. that you're going to come in and change everything. Yep. 100%. They're sitting there going, shit. Yes, any minute now. And just fuck my world up, you know? Right. Um, and so my, uh, I don't do that. You know, I won't do that. If I'm showing either. up somewhere and there's an established monitor mix that everybody's happy with, um, I'll go with whatever the choices are. But yep. it just sucks because you know how much better it could be. Right. You know, um, and you make it happen, right? You do whatever you got to do, you know. Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, you know, you, you, uh, <laughs> you know with some better choices that, wow, it could yeah. be better. That's when you play the long game and you're like, all right, if we do this again, yeah, <laughs> not maybe not for sure, but right. probably I'm going to change something. You well, know I mean? and those are, you know, as you get to know the monitor guy, you can make conversation like, Hey man, have you ever tried? Yeah. Such and right. such a microphone. Check it out, dude. You might like it. And then you can, you know, slowly right. mold it to be the way that you want. But, um, Anyway, so that's uh, dealing with uh, not so great uh, sources, and those are some some things that Chris and I do to uh, try to uh, get around that. We realize that um, you know a lot of you out there are run into situations where your your sources suck, and and um, you know my my recommendation for any of that is do whatever it takes. I mean, mm -hmm. I'm serious. There are so, if you were to look at some of my files for some you know, one-offs or whatever that I've done, you would wonder if I'd lost my mind because the, right. the stuff that's happening there is just nuts. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm just doing whatever it takes to make the end result be good. Because remember, the guy with the 40-ounce beer doesn't care what your EQ looks like. 
Not at all. Yeah, nor has yeah. anyone, nor has any patron ever asked to look at my. <laughs> That's right. You know what I mean? No one's ever looked. <laughs> no one's ever. Only only us nerdy uh, engineers are looking at an EQ and going, "What is? What are you yeah, doing?" Totally. But totally. anyway, yeah. thanks for tuning in, guys. We appreciate you hanging with us when we uh, we uh, haven't uh, put out an episode in a while. Um, we're gonna keep doing it. Um, yeah, got- man, we're here. Yeah, we got lots of stuff coming. Um, you know, 2021 is going to be a, a really great year for uh, Pooch and Raybould. So hang in with us. Yeah. All yeah. right. And guys, and you know what, too, real quick, you know, all of it, it's funny right now, we're just like, we're listening, we're talking, we're reminiscing. That's it. Before you know it, it's going to be time to bone up. I don't mean tomorrow, <laughs> but there is going to be a time where yeah. it's time to go out and produce, you know? Yeah. So and we've is- had a lot of feedback of uh, guys t- telling us that they've uh, gained some knowledge and that's mm-hmm. really, uh, that warms our heart guys. Uh, we hope that you, you go back out. We, what I really hope for is that when we all go back to work, every show is better, better mm-hmm. than it was, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and I think it can be if you're, you're spending the time to, to learn and tune into our thing and tune into all the other stuff that's going on. So, yeah. Thanks for tuning in, guys. We appreciate it. Take care. We'll see you on the next one. See you, everybody.